All right, friends, if you are able, if you would please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We will begin reading in just a moment at verse 29. The pathway for you to lead life with the deepest meaning and joy is to follow your gifting into service in Christ's kingdom. The Westminster divines say it like this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And one way we do that is by recognizing what our gifts are and employing them to his service. According to the Bible, we are all uniquely designed by our triune God. And today, we're looking at the life-giving truth that God intends to uniquely use us in his kingdom. To uniquely use us according to the way he has designed us. Now, the question is, how has he designed us? And our session longs for 2021 to be a year when we are able to worship and fellowship in ways that lead to ministry. That is, that lead you to do the work of ministry together. And those gifts that the Lord has given you are not just applicable for Trinity, but they're applicable for all of life. And the problem is so much of your confusion and your depression and your loneliness and your frustration in your spiritual life is because you have carried too much. My son, uh, my oldest son and I are going on a hike this summer. It's a 100-mile hike over 10 days at the Boy Scout Ranch Philmont. And we will uh, hike with 40 pounds on our back most days. But some days we'll carry 65 pounds because we're carrying the water for the troop and we're carrying some of the supplies. And if we don't use that water and if we don't feed the troop with the stuff on our backs, we are going to fall exhausted because we are not designed to carry 65 pounds for more than a day or two. And in the same way, you have gifts that the Lord has given to you that you have carried perhaps for many decades, many years, and that you have borne those and that you are meant to feed the flock with those gifts. And if you don't, as it were, shed that weight, share that gift, you will fall exhausted and you won't know why. So Genesis 1 and 2 shows us five aspects Five themes emerge in Genesis 1 and 2. You see the, the principles of those themes in Genesis 1 and the practice of those themes in Genesis 2. Five aspects that the Lord shows us and how he had designed us to use our gifts, starting with Adam and Eve. Those five are, number one, dominion. Number two, relationships. Number three, fruitfulness, which you heard from Pastor Scott last week. Number four and five are provision and limits, which we are looking at today. So, would you stand with me? And we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 through 31. Chapter 2, 1 to 3. Then I'll skip to verses 8 and 9. And then I will read verses 15 through 17. I'll lead you as I read it. All of Genesis 1, 26 through 2, 25 is in your bulletin. But I will only read portions of it this morning. Genesis 1, 29. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter two, verse one to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now skip down to verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every green tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Here's the takeaway for today. If you're a note taker, here it is. Since God is our ultimate provider, setting boundaries makes us better. Since God is our ultimate provider, setting boundaries makes us better. We'll see today how God equipped Adam and Eve to do the work of ministry by providing and setting limits for them. Setting boundaries makes us better. Setting boundaries makes us better. Better at what, you might ask? Well, frankly, just about everything. Because that's how God has designed you and me. So let's jump in first and look at provision and limits. We'll see a principle and a practice, both for provision and limits, as we underline these themes that we see in Genesis that help us begin to understand how we are to use and employ our gifts in service to God's kingdom for his glory. First, provision. Look at verses 29 and 30. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. To every beast on the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. I have given. I have given. I have given, the Lord says to Adam. Since God is our ultimate provider, we see a principle that God provides for all who are made in his image. God provides for all who were made in his image. 
And of course, Israel would have known this in the wilderness as Moses is declaring the story of creation to them as they're in the dusty, dark wilderness. The Lord provided for them, didn't he? How did he provide for them? Well, in Exodus chapter 16, he provided, he provided manna for them. And that's where Moses said to them, this is the food that the Lord God has provided for you. He has given you this. Israel certainly would have recognized this as Moses is recounting the story of creation to them in the wilderness. And Adam certainly would have recognized it also because he had given Adam all of the, uh, the animals, all of the, the green plants for food. He had given them everything. And Moses wanted to remind Israel in telling them this creation story that God does not need us. And God has, in fact, no needs. Or if he does, he has the ability to meet those needs. Israel didn't have that ability. Adam doesn't have the ability, and nor do we. We need God's continual provision for air, for water, for food, for the earth, for the sunshine, for miraculous growth. Children, what else do we need God's provision for? Think of it. Everything that God provides for us. There are so many things. And when you acknowledge that God is the one who provides all things, it gives you a tremendous sense of confidence to then go and use your gifts for his glory. Because why? Because you know that God will provide for you. He has in the past and he will continue to do so. God provides for all who are made in his image. He holds all things together by the power of his word, Hebrews 1.3, including our gifts and all of their unique manifestations. Now that's the principle God provides for all who are made in his image. What's the practice? The practice is for you to give God credit for what he has provided. And that's harder. Because our sin wants us to say, well, we have earned that. We have done that. It was who accomplished that. And God just must laugh at us when he thinks of all the things that we think that we have provided. It is God who uses us to provide good goods and materials for the world, yes, but it ultimately it is God. It is God who is the one who establishes everything that we have. The second cycle of creation in Genesis chapter two shows us how God provides for our needs. He, he prepares earth to be productive when we apply our work to it. God gave Adam the garden, but it was his job to till it. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, verse eight, and there he put the man whom he had formed. We till, but God is the original planter. God has created the earth with the natural resources that we need to be fruitful and multiply. He has given us the multitude of rivers and he has given us water and he has given us ores from which we can mine metals which become the basis of economic exchange today. In verse 11 and 12, in chapter two, it says there is gold and the gold who originally gave us the matter to do that. He is the one who creates ex nihilo out of nothing. We don't do that, he does. He is the provider. Would you give God credit for all that he has provided for you? Would you start with prayer this week? And would you, would you thank God for all that he has done for you? 
Would you just write down the things that he has provided in your life amidst COVID-19? What's one of the best ways to help get through the pandemic is to be grateful for what he has provided for you. Would you enjoy his presence and his nearness as you sit and you just bask in his amazing provision for you? He provides for all those who are made in his image and he wants us to give him credit for all that he has provided. He is the ultimate provider and he has designed us in giving us things, life, breath. He has designed us with limits or boundaries to live for his glory's sake. Let's see how the text shows us that this is true. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse three. It said, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all of the work that he had done in creation. Since we are made in his image, we are to obey the limits that God sets for us. And God demonstrates, he sets the example for us and that he himself set a limit for himself. Did God need to take a break after creation? Was he exhausted? Or was he trying to model for us the way that we most enjoy him? By cycles of work and rest. The fourth commandment of the 10 commandments reminds us that God's rest is meant to be an example for us. Moses says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 11. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. And on the seventh day, it is to be a Sabbath to the Lord. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the soldier that is in your gates. For in the sixth day that the Lord has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, on the seventh day, he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. And while religious people, history over, have piled on different things, regulations, to try to protect that Sabbath day, God's point for us is that he has made the Sabbath for our benefit. This is what Mark chapter two, verse 27 teaches. And what are we to learn from that? Well, we are first of all to learn the principle of limits is that God's limits empower you. God's limits empower you. God set limits for Adam. He demonstrated by setting limits in his own activity to empower you, those made in his image. They empower you. And how do they empower you? In two ways. First, your limits provide rest. When like God, we stop on the seventh day and we acknowledge all that he has provided for us. We are saying that we are not defined by our work or our productivity. We are defined by our relationship with the one who made us for his glory. We are able to say, as Walter Brueggemann has said, that the Sabbath provides a visible testimony of our life, that God is at the center, that human production and consumption take place in a world that is ordered, blessed, and restrained by the God of all creation. Our Sabbath practices are a witness to the world to say, I am not in control and there is an order and there is a good God who loves me, who will accomplish far more than I could if I worked my fingers to the bone. The illusion that human life is under our control is just that, it is an illusion. 
And so much of our energy is spent on trying to put that illusion back up and to believe it's really true. There was an experiment years ago where they took kids in the Ivy League and they said, we, we are gonna challenge you. We're gonna challenge you for one semester to take Sundays off. And so these kids who are driven, they took Sunday off for one semester. And the vast majority of them made better grades at the end of that semester. They were shocked. There was a, um, there's a, there's a pastor friend of mine, his name is Keith Webb, and he was driving across, um, he was in France, going to a meeting with pastors, and he was driving down this road, following the GPS on his car, and it was like five hours away, and he didn't know where he was going, and he got stuck behind a tractor. <laughs> and he got stuck behind this tractor and on this curvy road, and this French country side road, and he could not get around him. And he was stuck behind this tractor for a long time. And he realized that his GPS said that he was now going to be an hour late, <laughs> an hour late to this meeting of pastors. And so he was like, gosh, well, I'm going to be so late. I might as well stop and take a break. So he stopped and he took a break and he went in this cafe, got some coffee and a croissant and he got back into his car. And when he started his car, his GPS recalibrated and he realized that the GPS had calibrated beforehand to avoid tolls. And when he recalibrated it, he was only like 30 minutes away from his destination. And so many of us, we work so hard and we drive, 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 and Sabbath helps recalibrate your GPS. It slows you down. So limits provide you rest. Secondly, limits or boundaries give you freedom. If the principle is that God's limits empower you, they do so in two ways. They provide rest. And secondly, your boundaries give you freedom. Because all work is to respect God's limits. And there is a limit to the earth's capacity to pull natural resources. There is a limit to the amount of pollution that we could create to survive. There is a limit to the amount of clothing that we could produce. The, the human body has amazing strength, and yet there are still limits to the human body. There is endurance to how far we can exercise or the limits to our healthy eating. There, is, there are limits by which we can distinguish beauty from vulgarity. There are limits from which we can distinguish criticism from abuse or profit from greed or friendship from exploitation or a service from slavery or liberty from irresponsibility, authority from dictatorship. And in practice, the line is often very hard to find, isn't it? And it must be acknowledged that Christians, sadly, have often erred on the side of conformity or legalism or judgment or prejudice, especially when proclaiming what other people should or should not do. But nevertheless, the art of living as God's image bearers means that we learn to discern where blessings are to be found in observing the limits that God himself sets for us. Are you with me? Personal boundaries define us. 
If you ever visit the Van Wise house, for example, there is a long fence that goes right along the left side of the driveway as you're going in. And on that side of the fence is the Van Wise property. And on the other side of the fence is their neighbors. There's clearly a line next to your house. This is your property. That's your neighbor. This defines who you are. And the, the more you're able to live in that boundary, the freer and freer you are. Boundaries give you freedom. There was a playground study that, that my wife shared with me this week. Some of you know about this if you're in early childhood education in that they, they took two groups of kids in their normal recess time and the teachers took the first group of kids to a playground where there was not a fence and they had their normal time to, re, to do recess. And then a group of teachers took a group of children to another playground, almost identical, with a fence around it. And the first group of kids, when they went out to play, they huddled around their teacher and they did not venture very far. They stayed close because they were fearful of, of the dogs or of the people that they didn't know. There was no fence. They didn't know how to really play. They didn't get on the swings. They kind of huddled around and milled about. But the group that had a fence around it, the children were able to play the full acreage of that playground. They went all the way to the fence line and they sang and they danced and they played and they, they made up games together. Why? Because they knew there was a fence. God has given you freedoms to play. Go do it. He has given you a Sabbath to enjoy. Take him up on it. To know yourself and to be secure that you are loved is essential to every relationship in your life, especially your relationship with the Lord. And it's the first step to helping you grow in self-awareness, to know who the Lord has created you to be, to not pretend to be somebody that you're not, nor pretend not to be who you really are. And the better your boundaries of self-awareness and self-definition, the better you're able to offer empathy and love to other people. When you have a stable foundation for, under which to operate, you're able to use your gifts for his glory. That's why it's not selfish or unloving to have boundaries or to take care of yourself. Why? Because as image bearers, yes, we need to be loved and respected as much as anybody else. But as a ministry worker or as somebody who is in, is in ministry, having poorly defined boundaries leads to a life of exhaustion and stress where you will be emotionally depleted and ineffectual in the calling that God has given you. This is why a lot of pastors fall because they get burned out. So, our limits principle is that God's limits empower us. And they do it in two ways. They provide rest, limits provide rest, and boundaries give us freedom. Now, what's the practice how do we practice limits? Well, you discover the freedom of God's limits by setting healthy boundaries. God equips Adam and Eve with a choice in the garden. You have a boundary, Adam and Eve. There are two trees. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, verse 16 of chapter 2, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall die. Now, theologians have speculated at length about why God would put a tree in the Garden of Eden that he did not want the inhabitants to use. But for our purposes, please hear it. It is not enough to observe 
simply that there are two trees in the garden. You must realize that not everything that can be done should be done. That God has created boundaries for us to live and work. And not everything that can be done should be done. Human, human imagination and skill can work with all the resources of God's creation in a ways that are against God's intended purposes and commands. If we want to work with God and we don't want to work against God, then we must choose to observe the limits of God. In today's places of work, for example, like human creativity arises from the limits of, of our opportunities. Or, or architects, for example, have to work with the limits of materials and the money and the desires of the client. Uh, painters find creative expression by accepting the limits of the media that they use to paint their pictures. Writers find brilliance when they face page and word limits. And our problem, my problem, our problem together is that we don't set healthy boundaries. We have a problem saying no and speaking the truth in love. And when that happens, we end up enabling selfish or irresponsible behavior in others and we demonstrate anger and stress ourselves. But I thought it wasn't nice to say no. No. <laughs> Jesus said no. A lot. In the early years of, of ministry service, most of us are so eager to serve the Lord. And I say this as your pastor because we need a lot of ministry help, right? Especially as the year goes on. We need volunteers. But many of us are eager to jump in early and to use our gifts. And they are afraid that they will let people down if they don't use, your, use their gifts. When I was a young pastor, I never wanted to disappoint anybody, so of course I did everything. Of course, you just do it. That's how you pay your union dues, right? But deep down in many of us, there is a desire that if I don't please them, if I don't do that, if that doesn't get done, then that's on me, and that is sinful. Thinking like that gets totally backwards, Jesus' words, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You cannot be a cheerful giver when you are worried about pleasing people. You cannot be a cheerful giver when you are codependent and not interdependent with your brothers and sisters in Christ. When I wasn't looking to God, when I wasn't relying on his provision, when I don't rely on the limits that he sets for me, it is very easy for me to fall exhausted, to carry too much. And it's not that I have gifts that I haven't shared, it's that you haven't recognized that it's okay to take off the pack. It's time to rest. And that's why on our session, for example, we, we at this point don't have term limits for our elders, but we have a relationship with each other where, hey, if you need a break, we want you to be able to take that break. And many, many of our brothers have taken a break, not because they were exhausted, but because they thought, hey, this is healthy for me to take a break, to let new leadership rise up. 
it's healthy for us to take a break every once in a while so that new guys will, will step up. And I just want you to say, and I want you to hear, please, that in leadership of the church, we want to create a culture where we're able to take breaks. And so if you're on the edge of leadership yourself and you see and you look and go, that's too much of a sacrifice. No, it's not. Don't have too inflated of a view of yourself. You join the team. We take breaks together. We, we do it together. We, we, we work it together. We, we shepherd our children together. We, we do it together. This is where it's interdependent. We're not codependent and we're not independent. We work together to be able to honor the limits that God has given to us. Why? Because Jesus, of course, set boundaries. Jesus had limitations that he accepted. He lived in a human body that needed nourishment and rest, and he could only be in one place at one time. Imagine if you had lived for all eternity and you could see everything. And then all of a sudden, you took on the limits of a human body. Would you think you can't rest? Just reflect on the incarnation and the limits that Jesus took on in order to win us back to him. Jesus had personal needs that he put a priority on, sometimes even over the needs of other people, and he did it without feeling guilty. He had personal soul care where he separated his, himself, and he went and talked to his Abba, his father. He was proactive that he constantly invested in his intimacy with the Lord. And Jesus did not live defensive. He did not live overextending himself. He did not get more and more tired until finally he decided to take a break. You say, okay, 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 but Jesus was perfect. Yes, he was. But he wasn't always nice to people. When, when he didn't do what other people wanted him to do, uh, Jesus would often ask them to step up. For instance, in Jesus' miracles, he asked people to do something usually they felt they couldn't do, like the blind man. The blind man had to walk a long way to the pool of Siloam to get the mud out of his eyes. Jesus' way of life helped people trust that it was right, not only healthy, but also holy, to learn how to say no to people, to speak the truth in love, and to live within personal limitations. Let me just share a couple of ways that Jesus himself imposed limits on his own activity. He accepted personal limits for his personal needs. He ate healthy foods. He got sleep. He needed and even took naps. He took time to relax. He did a lot of walking. Jesus received the support and help of his friends. He sought company of friends. If you want all these verses, I'll be glad to give them to you after the service if you want my notes. He enjoyed solitude. He withdrew from the crowds to get away, to have silent retreats. He enjoyed an unhurried pace of life. He was never in a hurry except to get to Jerusalem at the very end of his life where he was to die. Jesus said no to manipulative behavior. He withdrew from the crowds who wanted him for one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. He chose that over the desires of the crowd. He fought his way through the crowd who was trying to throw him off of a cliff. He said no to abuse. He said no to entitlement. He didn't give in to his mothers and brothers who tried to use their relationship with him to pull him away from the crowds that he was ministering to. He said no to baiting questions when the religious leaders asked him to make him look, questions to make him look foolish. Jesus said no. He said no to Herod's cynicism and his mocking demands upon him. Show us that you are the son of God. He could have but he didn't. 
He said no to an armed rebellion when Peter and the disciples had this inappropriate agenda to help them rise up in arms against the Romans. He said no to pride. He, he refused to heal those who were too proud to trust him. I mean, I could go on and on. Jesus rejected exploitation. He told the rich young ruler that he couldn't help him until he gave away all of his money that was controlling him. You can't get help with your addiction until you give it all away. Jesus corrected those who kept children from him. He rebuked the disciples who tried to keep the little kids away. Why? These are, these are limits in which Jesus lived. And he didn't take on the burdens of other people. He set and had clear boundaries. This theme that emerges from Genesis 1 and 2 of provision and limits teaches us that since God is our ultimate provider, setting limits makes us better. And the provision principle is that God provides for all that he has made. And we to put, are to put that into practice, give God credit for all he has provided. And he has also set limits for us. God's limits empower you and we are to put those limits into practice by discovering the freedom of God's limits by setting healthy boundaries. Jesus was tempted to become paralyzed with fear about the cross. The Romans, the Jews, Satan, the crowd all wanted to kill him. And would he make it to the cross to die? Would he be lifted up publicly so as to draw his people to himself. And Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done in the garden. Jesus yielded himself to his father. And he said, Father, you will impose the limits of my life. You will set the date of my death. And I yield my life to you. He chose to let his trial and his suffering come as it would in order to win you and me back to the garden, which for us has become a city, Revelation 21. And Jesus was the second Adam. He was the true Israel, the one who both provided for us, but also the one who accepted our human limits so that he could experience the freedom of the Father's boundaries to enable us and equip us to use our gifts for his glory. Do you see him? Your savior comes to you and says, lay your burdens down, down at my feet and trust in me and me alone, gloriously complete. Come to this table that God has provided for you with healthy boundaries and begin to use the gifts that God will continue to help you uncover as we go on in the series to see how amazing his life, death, and resurrection is for those who believe. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us as your people to recognize that you give us proper limits and you have provided for us in amazing ways and father as we turn our eyes toward this table we pray lord that you would yet again provide for us 
You would show us that in the limits of bread and wine, you provide for us strength to nourish us in our walk with you. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us now. And we pray as we give our tithes and offerings to you that you'd remind us that even these, though resourceful we might be, every one of those resources has been given by your gracious hand to us to steward for your glory. So help us to do that within the limits that you have given to us that we may give sacrificially, we may give joyfully, we may give generously for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.